Hello everyone and welcome to When Life Gives You Lemons, our wee podcast about tackling and coping with some of life's challenges, hosted by me, Jenny McIntyre, and founder of Let's, Michael Byrne. Hi everyone, and thanks very much for joining us today for the latest episode, I think it's episode 8 of series 2 for When Life Gives You Lemons. Today, as always, I'm joined by the amazing Jenny McIntyre, <laughs> and we're also uh, delighted uh, to have Babak Shah with us today, all the way from New York City. How are you both? I'm good, thank you. How are you guys? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Um, I'm sure we're more excited to speak to Babak than me, so <laughs> I'll just roughly move on. How are you, Michael? I'm great, thanks. Uh, I'm really great. And uh, just like you, Jenny, I've been really excited about this episode, um, uh, recording it with Bavik and uh, just, you know, to hear what Bavik's got to say, but also to get that international context on uh, our conversation. And it's be great to find out how things have been going with Bavik and all the other fantastic interests that Bavik has. So, um, Absolutely. And I kind of scheduled this in time-wise to, to suit everybody. What time is it there, Bavik? Um, it's uh, close to eleven a.m. So oh, right. pretty, yes, yeah, just start of the day. Yeah, and we're at quarter to four, so it's actually the time difference isn't too. It's not too bad. Not terrible, no, not at all. Uh, it's just like dinner time and lunch time, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so for everyone who kind of wonders how uh, we have uh, an international guest on, Bavik and I are speaking at an event, uh, a virtual event later on in the year uh, called "This Can Happen," which is a a three-day event um, hosted out of London, but all over the world. Uh, it's been beamed all over the world. Uh, and it's all about various aspects of mental health. Um, and I know what Babic's going to speak about, but perhaps, Babic, you could uh, let us know just a little about yourself, uh, why you're interested in what you're speaking about uh, at the conference and why, uh, you know, uh, the sort of areas that you are likely to be speaking about, if that's okay with yourself. Yeah, sure, Michael. Thanks for the warm welcome, Jenny and Michael. I'm really happy to be here on the podcast. Um, so as the introduction says, I am from New York, hence the accent. Uh, I've been in London working for the last four years, uh, but currently back in New York um, in the hometown during the coronavirus pandemic. And I would say a little bit about me. I've been in finance for about 12 years now uh, as a career and worked in various different roles and responsibilities. And I think Consistently, I've always sort of struggled with the stress and the workload for uh, the job. And in finance, the, the demand is very high. It, it, you're constantly meeting demands and sort of obligations and deliverables to your clients or the, the role and or the, the company that you work for. Mm-hmm. And my mental health always sort of struggled with it as well, as along with my personal struggles with mental health as well. So I think yeah. the last couple of years, I put a very specific focus on what we should be doing, you know, as a company, as a workforce, as an employer to address some of these concerns, because at the end of the day, mental health is very, very important to me personally. And I think Mm -hmm. society is getting to a little bit of a a pivotal point in history where they're finally understanding the significance behind it and how it should be compared very equally to physical health. So I started this campaign, which I'm sure I'll get into a little bit um, in the podcast, but basically in my company to address some of these concerns and to cultivate an environment where it's okay to speak about certain struggles and specifically what 
your employer's responsibility is to employees individually and how they should foster an environment where people are feeling safe at work. So some of that will be considered and talked about um, during the This Can Happen Awards conference that you were talking about, Michael. And essentially what I'm going to speak about is how we can adapt uh, uh, environment for employers to look after employees' mental health, but specifically on technology and how do we adapt to the sort of demand that we're getting. And I mean, if this is not a point in history where coronavirus has taken over our lives and mental health has become such a you know hot topic, I think mm-hmm. we need to make sh- we need to make sure that our our support is scalable from any employer standpoint and technology can really help you do that. There's always, there's obviously pitfalls and sort of disadvantages to it, but in my experience, technology has really taken the sort of the conversation forward in the right direction. Well, that sounds fantastic, Bavik. I know that I'm blown away by um, that and it's definitely a, a topic that's close to my heart, obviously, in the, in the work that I do as well about mental health in the workplace. And I'm particularly interested in the, thoughts that you have and ideas that you have around technology. Um, and I think that perhaps, as you said there, during coronavirus, we've perhaps all our listeners and, and self-included definitely have had to adapt to the uses uh, and the benefit right. of technology through communications and so on. And, uh, and, I, and I've always said that I think that one of the most important things, hopefully, that comes from the coronavirus pandemic is that there is more accept, acceptance uh, of speaking about poor mental health or at least inquiring about how someone's mental health is during this pandemic yeah definitely i i think i think there's a lot of heartache and sort of pain that the world is suffering through at the moment you know they they lost their jobs they've lost their homes their loved ones and i think uh at the workplace it takes a definite toll on someone coming in in and out every day sort of pretending that things are okay, but they're not okay. I think the normal world, as we call it, is no longer in existence. I think, you know, things going from this point onwards will be very different to what we've seen in the past. And mental health should be at the forefront of any company, not only to, you know, look after someone from a human value aspect, but also from a business aspect. I think, you know, if your employees are helped healthy and happy then your business will be healthy and happy as well mm-hmm. absolutely and I think Michael and I kind of touched on it a few times kind of throughout the lockdown um, with regards to technology and our kind of advice was switch off from from it when you can um, because it's it can be so negative in terms of news and and things like that however if, if it hadn't have been for, for other things such as Zoom or whatever, mm-hmm. those those parts of the technology kept us all together and, and maybe, I mean, I, I live alone, so without Zoom, like nights in and things like that would have been very, very different and, and much more isolated than, than they were with, with having Zoom, you know, family cook-alongs and things like that. So so there is the pros and cons to, to both, Um with the technology, is that the kind of things you, you touch on or? Um... I think, I think you know, I would say the last 20 to 30 years, um, technology has definitely taken its sort of existence to new levels, right? With uh, Zoom calls as something that we've seen really in 2020, but just how we connect around the world. I think 
no company can really be at the edge of innovation without technology because it drives every business forward, regardless of what industry you're in. Yeah. And okay. I think, you know, for mental health, the specifics I speak about is that the first step is really is to create an environment on making people comfortable and speaking about it. I mean, as we all three know, there is a still a massive stigma behind the t- subject matter. I mean, we're getting there, you know, some, some, geographical regions are a bit more advanced. I would say UK is a bit more advanced than the US at the moment in terms of how we speak about mental health, what support levels we provide, not only on a company basis, but just from an individual basis. However, technology won't do anything. It's not gonna make an impact if we're not making the first step. And I think Mm -hmm. the first step is really for the people in charge to really understand that people are your business. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the ones who drive your your commercial aspect forward. They're the ones who are bringing in the money. They're the ones who are really speaking out to the clients and making those deals or, you know, putting the newest trend on social media, et cetera. So if you don't take care of your people, your business will suffer. And I think, I think taking that from a pragmatic perspective is very important because a lot of people, a lot of employers get really, I guess, cautious about p- giving advice to their employees about, you know, what they should be doing regarding their own mental health, how how they should see a professional or they should not see a professional. They don't want to sort of get into that, you know, raise sticky waters, um, especially in the U.S. because unfortunately the U.S. has a very litigious society. So you can basically sue anyone on anything really, which, you know, mm-hmm. has its pros and cons, but especially from a workforce, there's a lot of legal liabilities that everyone is always concerned about. Um, so the way to really think about it is that no employer really has the professional uh, expertise like a psychologist would or a psychiatrist would, and they're not really in the place um, to really give that sort of advice. However, if you think about it from a pragmatic perspective, you know, we have managers who go through training, you know, they give advice on their careers. Uh, we have mentors at work. Mental health should just be incorporated within that, right? There should be proper training, Yes. But I think the way you look at it is that if you treat mental health as just another aspect of your people strategy, along with training and, you know, events and whatever your people strategy is within an organization, you know, that can really drive uh, the success of mental health being less stigmatized. You know, people will still feel comfortable and bringing up certain issues regarding stress or anxiety or whatever, whatever they're going through. And rather than giving that professional advice, you just advise them to go somewhere. You advise them to maybe, you know, go research within the employee assistance program, which a lot of companies have. They're legally liable. They're legally obligated to have it, basically. But most employees don't either leverage it or don't know anything about it because there's still a stigma behind if I use the employee assistance program, will my employer find out? Will my manager find out? What will they think of me? You know, they'll perceive me as weak, um, incapable of having, you know, a job if I tell them that I'm struggling with yeah. X, Y, and Z. And that's the stigma that people need to sort of look at and destigmatize because from an employer's, employer's perspective, that's obviously not true if you really want to get the best out of your people. You know, and if it's a toxic environment, at work, then it's really not gonna, it's not really not gonna go anywhere. Yeah. So that's step one, right? If you create an environment where people feel more and more comfortable in speaking about certain issues, or they they feel comfortable about going to the right places, 
um, at the workplace with the support that the employer provides, then you should think about how to make it scalable. Realize if you're a technology company of 50, like a startup, or you're a global foundation company for you know, 60,000 people, technology can really help bringing people together and mm-hmm. sort of providing a service that's scalable, just like what Zoom is doing for us right now during COVID. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think as well, it's like you said before, it's about um, creating that safe environment. So it, it's not about the manager or the employer or or whatever advising. It's it's signposting, essentially, and, and making employees feel safe and comfortable to kind of address exactly that, the issues yeah. that they're possibly having. And I, for me, it's we spend probably more time with our workmates and colleagues than we do our families and friends so um it makes sense that that we we should be able to or feel that we can open up while while we're while we're at work and and not have that stigma right right and, and that's exactly right Jenny. We, we spend 40 50 60 hours a week at the workplace considering this year is a bit different but we're mm-hmm. still on calls we're still working whether in our basements or our garages or our home offices we're still doing the work and we do spend a lot more time with our workmates and colleagues or think about workmates or colleagues rather than thinking about what groceries we need to buy or, mm-hmm. you know, what are we doing on our weekends? Because it's just how reality is for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. We're, we're doing the work more than we're actually spending with our personal time. And, you know, there's another thing that I, I, would, I like to bring up as well is that let's say your person, your average person is actually really happy in their personal lives, you know, family life is great, social life is great, but they come into work and they hate it and they do not like their manager or they do not like their work or they don't feel that they're supported or they've been passed up on promotion time and time and after again. Mm-hmm. That, that definitely you know, affects your mental health, that deteriorates your mental health day by day because you're entering into an environment for 50, 60 hours a week that you're not happy in. And that's going mm-hmm. to give you anxiety. That's going mm-hmm. to give you sadness, maybe depression. And I've struggled with all this, right? You know, I'm not saying my example is the top example and that, you know, applies to everyone. Sure. But I know for firsthand what it is to be in a company or a work environment where um, it's toxic or I don't feel supported. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, for employers, that's something that they should significantly look at because if you have one person unhappy, you probably have some more too, because it's just not one random person that you need to worry about. It's like collective sort of environment that you need to think about. And if they if they really feel that way of sort of unhappiness at the work or they don't feel supported, they have a couple of options. Eventually, they either take sick leave, they either take a sabbatical, or they'll quit. And <laughs> if they quit, the attrition rate is something that employers need to worry about as well because you know you have to bring in someone in you have to retrain them you have to think about their qualifications versus the person who was already there and that all people don't think about right they don't think about employers giving employees stress for the work itself because unfortunately there's a subtext there that it's just expected and Mm -hmm. i'll give you guys an example in finance it's just accepted right you just move on you kind of deal with it you know people will be challenging, you know people will be difficult, but where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line between professionalism and humanity? Because I've seen a lot of 
front office people who sit at a trading desk or, you know, very senior people who've sort of built their career on bullying. Yeah. And bullying is very prevalent at the workplace. Yeah. And that's something that is not on the employee to just sort of suck up and deal with it. That's actually uh, employer's responsibility to address and, you know, to support that employee because everyone deals with uh, sort of that stress differently. Yeah, I think um, I think just listening to you over the last couple of minutes, Mark, I'm, I've been amazed by just how much I've learned just uh, in conversation with you. I know you and I previously spoke uh, before this uh, a couple of weeks or so, or so ago, but I, I suppose I probably always had the impression that um, the US was probably further ahead than the UK um, about um, speaking about mental health or, or more advanced in reducing that stigma. So. Um, but I, I, that's just a perspective. I, I understand now that, that that's not a reality, and I can absolutely understand what you're saying about that litigation um, culture. Um, and I, and I, what I would think more and more now is I, I like you have worked in that bullying culture. It's very very toxic, and it doesn't go anywhere. Uh, it's detrimental to staff. But there's a, there's a report that came out uh, that I speak about quite a lot um, in 2017 by the UK government that quotes some figures that says that for every one pound, um, UK pound, uh, an organisation spends on the well-being of its staff, its return on that investment is 900%. Yeah. You know, yeah, that, I, read this I understand we all, we've probably all worked in environments where senior staff or whatever may well be cynical towards, you know, why would I want to spend 10,000 pounds or dollars on the well-being of my staff? I'll never get that money back. But if you actually explain to them, well, for every one pound, you'll get nine back. For every 1,000, you'll get 9,000. For every 10,000, you get 9,000. Just by investing within your staff, um, I can guarantee that there'll be a lot of organisations willing to spend that money um, once we start reducing that cynicism towards it. Because, as you've rightly said, uh, you know the your employees are your are your assets, um, and you know it's you know if you don't service your car or your automobile, you know every so often um, you're going to run it into the ground, and you know it's not going to be cost effective. So, um, but it's been really enlightening there to see that you know um, the comparisons between the culture here and the culture within the US as well. I know you're between both, you know, you, you go between York and, and London. So it's really interesting to get that perspective. Right. Yeah. And I think there's a few things that you sort of touched on that. Um, I think the general perception of the US is that we, we talk about mental health more because it's a very open environment of, you know, I'm going to see a therapist or psych mm -hmm. psychologist or, a, you know, a common trend for people to go see and talk to. However, a lot of people, think that mental health is mental illness. So if I, for example, told my colleagues and my friends that I went to go see a therapist, which I did, you know, they immediately gave me a look saying, is everything okay? Like, are you okay? Do you need some support? Should we talk to someone? But they don't understand that a lot of therapy is just talking to someone who doesn't really know you yeah. and has sort of a background and professional expertise to advise you on what steps to take in your life yeah. rather than always thinking, you know, the doom and gloom. True. Now, a lot of people do suffer from mental illness and they do have, you know, actual certain diagnoses that you need certain help with. But, you know, there are a lot of people who, you know, go through life that just need an outlet, you know, without judgment. Yeah. They don't need to speak to their family or friends all the time. And they just want to go speak with someone who's a bit more licensed to handle certain stresses. But in the U.S., that sort of going seeing a therapist and psychology behind it um, and immediately mental illness is a lot more prevalent than actually understanding 
that your day-to-day stresses or your day-to-day you know dealings with other people is mental health like you using your brain on a day-to-day basis is mental health this is how you interact with you know people around you and how you do your day-to-day tasks and you know and the second point you brought up was very interesting about that report which i read and i've seen in the last couple years i've seen the trend going you know more and more um towards why people why employers should invest into their employees and to be quite honest, I, I'm in a role where I lead the UK business and mental health. So I'm mental health lead there. And it's been about two years since then. And I will be honest, uh, without me taking it to the next step of technology, my budget was probably less than 500 pounds mm-hmm. just for the, for the year. And, you know, that's in some aspects, it's a lot. In other aspects, it's not that much money at all, cool. depending on where you are and how you see it. Yeah. And having that initial discussion with our senior partners and the UK CEO was free of charge. Mm-hmm. You know, they, it's just time. It's investment in yourself and investment into, you know, the work they're doing to present a case to these senior people and explain to them why it's very important to start the discussion. So we had very, uh, very targeted events at the workplace that was free the company didn't have to invest into anything um and then we had various different discussions within smaller groups and teams again free you don't pay to be at work it's just you know you carve out a lunch hour here you talk to your learning development team there it's just time and that is in that in this aspect is a investment but monetary wise it's not that much money. Yeah. So if companies can just realize that it doesn't take a lot of budget to really cultivate an environment that people feel comfortable and open and honest and vulnerable to speak about this, then you know they can really make strides into building a brand that's accepting of all people and you know making an environment where mental health is one of the biggest priorities for companies to really have. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And that's I was kind of going to touch on the before you kind of start investing big money into things like this it's if if it's your workplace and, and your business that's perhaps has a toxic environment or culture no amount of money is going to kind of address that until you can kind of fix the backbone and, and the, the culture from from the bottom so um it, it is about the kind of fixing it from there um if that's what it is and coming from experience of kind of working in horrendously toxic work environments and um, managers and things just not understanding what mental health is and and just not getting it and how can you not just get out of bed I don't I don't understand it and that kind of bullying nature until until you kind of address that no amount of um, mental health awareness or mental health first aid courses is going is going to help that um, until you until you address it from the root 100 100 and i think you know it's sometimes it's not even your company like for example my company is in the consulting industry so a lot of times we're at other companies as clients and mm-hmm. while we can sort of cultivate a culture within our own company within our own teams we are in a third-party venue third-party building and our clients technically are paying for our services. Sure. So we need to obviously uphold a level of professionalism and dignity with our work. However, my argument was that no matter who you are, regardless if you're a client or your internal manager, we cannot resort to bullying and we should mm-hmm. not accept any you know, avenue of bullying. 
regardless if it's a client or if it's internal, because at the end of the day, that's just unacceptable. That's, that's a, you're creating an environment that is based on fear and intimidation and mm-hmm. no company will survive, you know, no company will survive that for really long periods of time. But unfortunately things, you know, people don't speak about this, right? So yeah. people burn out, they quit. Unfortunately, you know, things get progressively worse and that sort of facade of a company stays within the clouds. But is that really where we're aiming to? Is that what we really want to target? I don't think so, at least not for me, at least not mm-hmm. from the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the culture that I'm trying to create and uphold. Yeah, I mean, I always find it um, really interesting, you know, I mean, Jenny and I have, have our own businesses and okay, you know, my, certainly my business is, is small, but, you know, I have plans and dreams like everyone else and I wouldn't, I'd never dream of having a culture within my workplace that was toxic and I know that's because of the ethos that I have and so on and and I always kind of wonder that and, and having been a director for an organisation in the past, it kind of feels like sometimes that when we become um, escalated into senior positions, um, some of us forget to be almost human uh, mm-hmm. or, or have that human aspects of our personality or be fearful of having that human aspect of a personality come through in the workplace because that perhaps can be seen as a, a weakness depending upon the, the, te- the leadership team that you're involved in or whatever. And it certainly felt that way for me that to show a more human aspect towards employees was almost seen as a vulnerability of, you know, the, you need to get this performance so you can't be, you know, human and in inverted commas with the greatest of respect. When actually the culture that I believe in is that you get far more from members of staff if you communicate properly, show a level of kindness, humanity, empathy, support, all of those natures that we all have in us. Um, but sometimes, you know, as I said, having been at that level, you kind of witness it and think that, that you know, it's not a conducive culture within a workplace to get, um, you know, the kind of environment that I would want to be in. And I always long for the day that perhaps, you know, that employees can actually say or have enough to say, you know what, I, I don't really want to work here anymore because I actually don't like the culture within this workplace. It's not conducive to positive mental health or whatever. And flipping that on its head, actually having organisations who say, come and work with us because we have a positive attitude towards good mental health within the workplace and we'll support you. So I know that's nirvana. I know that it's very ide- idealistic, but there's nothing wrong with uh, hoping for something like that in the future, you know? Well, absolutely yeah. not. I, I remember working in the, I'll not name the place, but, um, it, and the, the environment was, was terrible and it was very much a blame culture and bullying and a toxic environment and, at times, I was quite vocal about how I felt about the kind of environment that we were working in um, and things. And to the extent where I wasn't given an exit interview because they knew yeah. that I would like, broach the subject. Um, so so those kind of com- there's still those kind of companies there who they just don't want to hear about it. So let's just get her out the door, um, which I find amazing to to even think that that still exists but um but they just want to brush it under the rug yeah isn't it in the, interesting but in this in this environment that we all live in now where if we go to a restaurant and the food isn't very good you have the ability to write a review somewhere uh and, I, and i'm sure you know it's the same in the us and the uk you, you can go into trust pilot or wherever uh, and write a poor review to say 
you know, uh, the, whatever this level of service may not be great or whatever your legitimate things were. Um, you know, but yet we don't seem to have that kind of platform for employers, employees, because if you do it as an employee, it's kind of just seen as sour grapes or mm-hmm. you've left on bad terms. And certainly, you know, uh, you know, it was the same for me. So, um, but that shouldn't necessarily be the case. There has to be a cultural change that actually, uh, you know, ex-employees or employees in a place have an opportunity to say, this culture could be, could be more conducive. If I was struggling for, with my mental health, I would like to see this in places. Could we have discussions around perhaps introducing this? And as Bavi, as you've said, it doesn't have to always be a, a relative cost. It could just be time out to go and speak to someone within the organisation that it's, it's time costed rather than actually uh, payment, you know? Yeah, and I, and I think both of you brought up really good points that the change needs to come from leadership from the top down any sort of culture change has to come from a level that has sort of the power and the gravitas to make them you know and it's unfortunate that a lot of companies get this this rep and you know jenny i can definitely relate to working at a company that you know has the blame game constantly where you're constantly thrown under the bus and not supported when you really need it and i've left companies because of that because it's just not conducive to my mental health but the mm-hmm. problem is that a lot of people did as well before me and after me. And really, that's just going to be a vicious cycle. You'll get a new round of really hopeful, big-eyed new graduates yeah. or, you know, someone from another company who thinks that this environment will be different. And then they experience very similar situations and then they leave. But then, you know, they'll get a new recruiter and it'll yeah. just go through its vicious cycle over and over again. And that's just what I've seen in the last you know, 12 years of my career, except for the last, you know, two, three years where, you know, I've been really working aggressively to make sure that the brand at my company is that we, we, we look after people's mental health. It may not be perfect. It's not going to be a, you know, exact life for like for everyone, because yeah. as we all know, it's going to be different for people, but, you know, at least we have the right people in the right positions to help mm-hmm. out. If you're going through something, if you're going through, a significant period of time where your manager is just not qualified to be a manager because we see mm-hmm. that a lot too i mean I'm, I'm sure you have both of you have experiences where you've reported into someone or you've dealt with someone who's in a position of power but they really don't have the experience or the emotional intelligence to drive you forward to be successful mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely yeah. <laughs> 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 like, yeah. that... very silent yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when you yeah. You see managers who are, uh, or whatever, directors, chief execs, whatever, who are promoted into posts um, and who absolutely don't have the people skills that are needed to right. develop the organisation in the correct direction and so on. And, and um, you know, or people who are averse to any kind of tough conversations that you know are really needed to change the workplace. And I remember a long, long time ago, I worked with this director that whenever there was staff meetings, he actively switched off and made it, you know, through his body language, his actions, known as if this is the last place on earth that I really want to be right now. And I always remember, you know, trying to have a conversation with the chief executive saying, look, you know, if this director has given that message out, all the staff can see that. How can we get all the staff to buy into doing mm-hmm. what we're trying to accomplish if this director is sitting, you know, and it's the and actively saying, don't know why I'm here or whatever. Um, you know, it should be in some respects, leading by example, and, and mental health is just one of those uh, examples. And 
when I've done some talks around the UK and some of the most positive talks I've ever done have been where after I've done my talk or whatever and the chief exec or the director or whoever it may be has stood up for five minutes after me and spoken and given something of themselves to say, I can relate to Michael, whatever it may well be, this part, because something similar happened to me, I had this. Um, and it's powerful because then it brings a human aspect of senior management to the workforce. And we all have shared experiences. And I think I may have said this before, that at the end of the day, we're all human beings. We just happen to be at different levels within organisations, at different levels in our career. But fundamentally, we're all human beings with experiences of life. Um, and I think that should be a, a common theme, you know, and, and once employees see that, you know, a, a boss or whomever it may be has actually shared that lived experience, they see both parties see each other as human then as opposed to employee-employer relations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what you're speaking about is vulnerability, which people find it as a weakness, but I find it as a strength. You know, yeah, being vulnerable with anyone is letting them see a part of you that they may have not appreciated before and especially at a workplace where historically it's always been personal outside professional inside but that's impossible now you know and we don't live in a world where we leave our offices and we don't think about work or we leave our offices or we don't bring work back whether on our phones or laptops you know especially now in an environment where everyone's remote you know working Work-life balance doesn't exist. It's more about work-life integration. How mm-hmm. you sort of manage your Saturdays, your Sundays, your lunch hours at work, you know, thinking about your day-to-day tasks. And that vulnerability from a manager or from a CEO saying, I've actually dealt with very similar issues like you, know, you may have, or I've gone through a very specific instance, but I want to share with you that it's okay because I find it, you know, soothing that I'm helping you guys, I'm getting the help that I need, whatever the case may be, because that person on the receiving end can be someone who's 20 years experience in the job who always have, you know, this toxic sort of environment where I need to be this, or I need to prove this, or a new, a new analyst who just graduated uni. And, you know, they're really excited, they're really, you know, looking forward to the new chapter of their lives. And Mm -hmm. that gives them hope that gives them ambition to do better in an environment that is truly fostering an environment of openness and honesty, because that's what drives the business forward. You know, the more people who feel comfortable in coming into work, the more people who feel motivated to come into work will stay there longer. will you know, look after each other, train those people who need to be trained and support those who need the support. I, th- I think there's nothing more powerful in a workplace than to be inspired by the person, the boss, the organisation, whomever it may be that you work for. That inspiration uh, or you know, that ability to be inspired when you go into work, that you make a difference, that someone believes in you and that what you do actually matters. Uh, it's just such an amazing feeling. And there aren't that many organisations in my experience that I've worked for that actually have that. But when you get it, it becomes a magical place to work. And I really like what you said there about the home and office integration. Uh, I was uh, on Saturday afternoon there. I was out uh, with some friends uh, from a men's mental health support group um, that I go to and support. And we went and we played foot golf. So it's a combination of football on and golf. So it's football on a golf course. So, you know, you get a par four and you yeah. have to get the football in the hole in a par four. It was fantastic. 
But the point was that for the first time, probably in the whole of the six months of lockdown, I left my mobile phone in my car. Um, so for the best part of three, four hours, I was disengaged from, um, you know, everyone, you know, the outside world. You know, obviously I'm married and I've got a son, so all emergencies aside and so on. It's great to have that disconnect or that allowed that time to be disconnected without thinking, or oh, something might be looking for me, or I've got a business call, or, you know, I need to answer these emails within 10 minutes or it doesn't look like great customer service or whatever. And But it was just great, and it gives me the freedom of your own mind to think, I can actually just be in the moment, enjoy what I'm doing here with another you know group of guys, and just be allowed to be in the moment and have fun, because that in itself will improve my mental health, will improve my well-being for the whole weekend and beyond. And I think sometimes we forget about it is okay to disconnect for something, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I think you you are in that mindset where you are pretty self-aware, right, Michael, from based on our conversations in the past and, you know, what I'm seeing just in this conversation. Sure. You understand that mental health for you is important. Um, yeah. But what about those people who don't? What are Absolutely. those people who at the workplace or colleagues or the people you manage still think that mental health is mental illness? They don't differentiate those two words which yeah. there's such a significant difference between health and illness and, and there's so much in between but for some reason you know they've you know they they can't see it and it's not shocking because we all been sort of trained in the last 30 40 50 years god knows how long that you know this is how things should be that physical health is important i think we've made strides in the last you know 40 50 years of understanding why physical health for you is important staying healthy eating right you yeah. know making sure that you get your calories and your steps in with all the technology with fitbit apple etc um yeah. but mental health it's it's still getting there you know and I'm, I'm really proud of the work that as a society we're doing and just proud of the work that we're doing on this podcast because say five years ago i don't think things like this would be widely accepted now, mm-hmm. Michael and I are speaking at a conference later this year about why it's so important and why mm-hmm. employers should be looking out for their employees. So it's a, it's a massive step change, right? And it's in the right direction. I think more conversations like this need to happen, more education needs to happen, because I think more, the more people are educated, the less stigma, the less power it has. Yeah. Because think about any sort of historical outbreak of you know, HIV, cancer, AIDS, you know, yeah. and in the beginning, people were petrified. Even, let's just yeah. think for now, it's um, this current pandemic. You know, in the beginning, people had no idea what was happening, how to stay safe. We just saw death tolls rising across the globe. And it was frightening, you know, for a lot of people. This was their first in their lifetime. For me, it was, uh, you know, unless I don't remember certain, you know, outbreaks for um, global health crisis because I was maybe too young but mm-hmm. I'm in my 30s and this is probably the most significant thing I've seen in my life and probably a lot more people have the same sort of feeling and but you know we learn we learn about wearing a mask we learn about staying distant we learn about how to wash our hands which still is alarming that people need education on that but still it's important <laughs> it's important and the more and more we learned about it the risks the the decisions that we need to make as a society the, you know, the more comfortable we felt with it, at least to a certain extent. We're not over it by no means, but but my yeah, point I, being is that education is power. I think it's the it's that fear of the unknown. So so take for example coronavirus. 
we fear it because we we don't know about it and as you say we learn and um we learn to adapt and we have a better mm-hmm. understanding of what it is and and it's the same with mental health it's that fear of the unknown so so not knowing wh- what's going to happen if i open up and talk about this and mm-hmm. um hopefully the more comfortable and safe we make people feel about opening up and talking about issues um the, the less fear that there will be around that and and it will be interesting to see in five years time I mean we've moved on so much in the last five years so it'll be interesting to see in five years time where we will be at with it and what we will look back on as in today um yeah I think I think it is just that kind of fear of what will happen if I do this I mean I perhaps just by being slightly older um, than both of you, and I mean that with the highest, the greatest of respect. I, I recall um, when the HIV um, really kind of hit the headlines uh, a way back in the 80s or so on, and some of the absurdities um, that came out then, you know, that you could um, contract HIV by, you know, toilet seats or whatever it may well have been, um, because, as you said, it was a lack of education, a lack mm. of awareness. And then you fast forward to um, cancer, and, I, and I'm talking perhaps just about Scotland and the UK. I, I don't know about the US, Barbuk, if you excuse me, but certainly back, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, people didn't even want to utter the word cancer. Yeah. In the UK, certainly in Scotland, we called it the big C because we it was almost like that fear of if you said the word cancer, you were going to get it. Something, you know, you were almost going to attract it. And um, But now, you know, there's a far greater understanding of HIV and with cancer, certainly in the UK, more people survive cancer now than don't. And I can relate it to, you know, this this concern that we have about mental illness that people don't really want to talk about it and people don't like having conversations about suicide because that might make the person want to commit suicide. Mm. But what I hope is that how we now look back at HIV or, or cancer and that more people survive it or not, and people talk openly about it is exactly where we'd I'd like us to be as a society with regards to poor mental health or any kind of mental health and it's almost accepted that how's your physical health how's your mental health doing well everything okay can i help you whatever it may be and you know i think you're right we've made some fantastic strides in the past um five years or so but i think with more people like the three of us talking openly about actually here's some things i've been through here's some things i've done here's my thoughts on it i'm not fearful of engaging in conversation about it uh, it breaks down those barriers and the more people that perhaps hear a podcast or hear people speaking about it think okay so it is it is okay to talk about this now it's not like it used to be um and change is slow but at least it's change you know yeah i mean i don't i don't think that we'll we'll make a change within a day a month but just jenny what you said five years we've seen significant changes in this Mm -hmm. topic and this subject matter and you know one thing if you know hopefully this podcast reaches many but if you know if there's one thing that i would really like to highlight is that the workplace is not an environment where you should shut off your human values. You know, it's not like you feel something at home or with your friends. And as soon as you walk through that door or you remotely log into your work, you're supposed to switch off to a robot because that's just impossible. We can't do that. We have human values and emotions, regardless of where we are, who we are. And at work, that is enticed sometimes depending on the workload, depending on the environment there. And workplaces you know, will need to take responsibility for what environment they're putting their employees in. And that's basically this, I would say, crusade that I'm on because, you know, I, I, I often have heard that, you know, we're not 
responsible for someone's mental health at the workplace. And my counter argument is that you are 100% are for the time they are there because they are with you, entrusting you to make a safe environment for them, regardless of what that looks like. And it may be different for very different people and organizations. However, for those seven, eight, nine, ten hours a day, they need to feel safe. And mm-hmm. that's an important word, and it's a powerful word that employers should be looking at because they don't feel safe. Employees don't feel that they can really get into work, and that's a huge problem, you know, not only to their their mental health, but to the business. And if they don't want to take the personal aspect to it, take it take that aspect from those CEOs that we were talking about earlier in the podcast that, you know, they somehow lose their human values or emotions as they reach the top. And I can see that, you know, they have a business to run. It comes down to numbers mm-hmm. and stats and revenue. But if you lose your human value, are you really proud of the work that you accomplished? What sort of legacy are you leaving? I have to Perhaps we'll finish on that fantastic note then. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that was fantastic. Uh, can I just say it's been a pleasure uh, having you on this podcast and, you know, uh, if I can just thank you for accommodating us, particularly because I know there is a great time difference and it's just morning and you're trying to fit in a UK workload into a US timetable. So uh, I I just really want to say thank you for for accommodating us today. I I was more than happy to do it. And thank you, Michael. Thank you, Jenny, for having me. I think that, you know, what you're you're doing here, having a podcast on this topic is amazing and, you know, happy to help in any way I can. (laughs) 